Good morning. Good to see you all here. And good morning to all of you, or whatever time you're watching online, thank you for coming to the service, and we welcome you to our Five Oaks service. I love that. Um, I love that we can be partners with the Union Gospel Mission. Uh, they're boots on the ground right where a lot of needs are happening, and we've been partnering with them for years. And they don't just bring Thanksgiving meals. They bring help all year long. They bring programs and training and so many other things like that. And this is one of the ways that we can help not only feed people, we can help them in their mission uh, so that they can he have an even deeper impact and bring the gospel to life in people's lives. So thank you for participating in that. It's fun to hear that we're about halfway to the goal already, and it will be great to surpass that. So today we're talking about the strategic ministry importance of eating together. Yeah, we're going to be talking a little bit about food. And, uh, and not just eating together, we're talking about hospitality. We're not just talking about hospitality. We're talking really about including people in our lives, especially people who are far from God, including them in our lives. And so we're going to be looking at how Jesus does that, and not just how Jesus does that, but we're going to be seeing um, how it is that it, it, it works out throughout the Scripture and how we can have that as part of our lives. And I'm going to be sharing uh, some stories of how hospitality, eating together, including other people in our lives, uh, impacts people for their entire eternity, now and for eternity, uh, for God's sake. So before we start, I'm going to pray the prayer of illumination, which is based on Titus chapter 3, so please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the mercy that you have freely given so that we can know you. We are grateful for your Holy Spirit, which you have generously poured out on us through Jesus, our Savior. By your Spirit, guide us as we look to your word. Grant us a clear understanding of your heart. Humble us with your love. Deepen our devotion to you and to loving others the way that you call us to deepen our devotion, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so one of the things that we've been doing throughout this series is we've been looking at the fact that the greatest, one of the greatest ways, if not the greatest way, that we can bless someone's life is to point them to God, to point them to His love, to His grace. But for a whole host of reasons, sometimes we can go through years of a relationship without ever having shared Christ with that person. And so um, the, this whole series has been focused on really answering this question. And the question is this, can we learn how to share our faith in a way that's natural and relational and more effective? so that we can help people who are far from God find their way back to God. Now, the answer to that question is yes, and the way that we see that answer being worked out throughout the Scriptures is with what some call the BLESS strategy. It's five missional practices that we can put into our own lives that reflect the missional practices of Jesus and really the missional practices throughout the whole Bible. And uh, each letter stands for a part, a practice within uh, these missional practices. So the first one is to begin with prayer. This, this forms the foundation to everything else. This, this is, this is where, where we ask God and we partner with God 
to be at work in someone's life. He calls us to bring the message of His love, to point towards His love. And by beginning with prayer, we're more prepared for it, but so are other people in our lives. We've talked about the top five, praying for our top five in our lives, and praying for others as well. And this is the foundation to all the other practices. The second practice, L in bless, is listen with care. A lot of times we're wondering, where do we start with sharing the gospel? And the reality is, as you look at Scripture, maybe God doesn't want us to start with talking. Maybe God wants us to start with listening. Maybe He wants us to shut our mouths and listen more. And maybe He wants us to start with where listening leads. As we hear from people's lives, as we ask questions into people's lives, maybe it's in response to what they're saying, that we know what our starting point is for sharing the gospel. So today we're looking at the E in the word bless, and it is eat together. But eat together is actually about more than simply sharing a meal with someone. It's actually about sharing your life with someone, specifically sharing your life with someone far from God. And by sharing your life, usually that means simply including people in your life, finding ways to include people in your daily life and the things that you normally do. I'm talking about um, inviting sometimes, actually inviting yourself into someone else's life. And here's what we see in the Gospels as we look at this. Including people far from God in our daily life and inviting ourselves into others' lives was Jesus' MO. It's how he operated. It's what he did on a regular basis. I've often quoted the New Testament scholar Robert Karras uh, who says this, he says, in Luke's gospel, specifically Luke has a big emphasis on meals, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Now, once, once you are told that, you can't stop seeing it, especially in the reading of Luke's gospel. Um, when it comes to most of those meals, the reality is Jesus invites himself over more often. He didn't have a home. He didn't have a place to invite people to. And you find Jesus constantly inviting himself over to other people's homes. He did this with the religious leaders often. You know, he was at odds. The religious leaders were at odds with him. And yet he constantly continued to reach out to them. And he did that by going to their homes over and over again for meals. One of the most prominent stories of Jesus going to someone's home is the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, described as a short man who couldn't see over the crowds that wanted to see Jesus, and he had heard about Jesus, and he wants to see Jesus, so he climbs a tree. Jesus sees him in the tree, and Jesus invites himself over to his house. And so here's how the story is told in Luke chapter 19. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. We'll touch on that in just a a few moments, a a little bit later, why they would say that. But after Zacchaeus, after he goes to the home and Zacchaeus responds to the conversation that they had at dinner, Here's his response. Today, Jesus' response, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the Son of Man came 
to seek and to save the lost. There's a story very similar to this. It's the call of Matthew, one of the disciples, who happens to have also been a tax collector. And, and, um, and Jesus goes to Matthew, and again, Jesus invites himself. He inserts himself into Matthew's life. So we're going to read that passage, or we're going to see that passage read by uh, some five ochres. It's from Luke chapter 5. Let's watch that video. Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we've uh, seen once or twice scenes from the show The Chosen, the only uh, multi-season, uh, they've only completed one so far, but the only multi-season series on television on the life of Jesus. And one of the most interesting characters in The Chosen is the character of Matthew, also known as Levi. Uh, the show brings him in right at the very beginning of, I think, probably the first or second episode. Uh, it, it shows how he is rejected by his fellow Jews, uh, how it is that even though he works for the Romans, the Romans despise him just as much because he is a Jew. The way that the writers of The Chosen decided to portray Matthew is to portray him as somewhere on the autism spectrum. And it makes for a fascinating study uh, of, of a man. And so I want you to, uh, we're going to watch a scene from The Chosen, and I want you specifically to watch how it is that Jesus invites himself over to Matthew's house. We live in the same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to... What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. 
Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're going to throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host. Well done. And, uh, and very accurate in terms of uh, it's exactly what he did. He invited himself over to Matthew's house and Matthew threw a party for him with other tax collectors or tax collectors and, and sinners. Eating together is, um, is really about sharing our life uh, together with other people. It's, it's about praying uh, for people. It's about listening to them. And then it's about spending time with them around the table or in any number of different ways. So Tim Chester is a British pastor. He's also a church movement leader in Great Britain, and he's an author. And he wrote a wonderful book that I've referred to many, many times uh, over the years. Uh, it's a book called A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table. And it basically works its way through the Gospel of Luke, showing uh, these key meals that Jesus has with other people and how it is that he inserts himself into their lives, how he does life with them and in doing life with them, what it leads to in the lives of many of them. And so this is what Chester says about Jesus' mission strategy. He says, Jesus' mission strategy was a long meal stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship round a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. You watch, you read the Gospel of Luke, and you'll see this coming up over and over again. It's remarkable. It's so natural. It's so simple. It's so every single day that you can read the Gospels many times in your life, and unless somebody points it out to you, you just completely miss how prominent meals are in the story. I think I could easily do a whole Story of God series where we just work our way through the various key scenes in the Scriptures, as we've done before on many different subjects. I could do a whole series for eight weeks on the story of God, looking at meals and only scratch the surface of the importance of meals in Jesus' ministry. Again, it's not just meals. We're talking about including people in our lives, sometimes including ourselves in their lives. So here's some ideas for um, how to do this. Uh, some of these will have to wait till after COVID, depending on your circumstances, or till after uh, uh, winter, <laughs> which in Minnesota always plays a fact. It's an important factor, isn't it? So walking together or walking uh, dogs together, uh, working out together, bicycling, barbecuing on the deck, that'll wait a while, I think. 
backyard bonfire uh, driveway happy hour where you provide a, you know, uh, an appetizer and invite all your neighbors to come on over and bring their own uh, refreshments. Uh, neighborhood potluck. Uh, ice fishing. There's one you can do in the winter. Uh, maybe not during COVID. I don't know. It's kind of an enclosed area. Uh, pickleball, uh, which we now have courts uh, for pickleball. Workplace lunch, just inviting someone to join you for lunch in your workplace. Uh, learning a new sport, uh, going out to eat, uh, conversations over the fence. Uh, there's so many different ways that we can include other people in our lives. And I know most of you do that. People who you live around, your neighbors, that you care about, and you want to bless them, and you want to include them in your life. Why is this so important? Why are meals together, including people in our lives, so important? Well, we're going to go quickly at three questions uh, or three reasons why in just a few moments. But before I do that, I want to share a story with you of uh, one person in whom hospitality or for whom hospitality had an impact in her going from being hostile towards Christianity to being a fellow believer in Christ. And I'll do it from my dining room at home. Rosaria Butterfield is a huge advocate for hospitality, for sharing our lives with people, for sharing our lives with not only people in our churches, but people in our neighborhoods. And she has a very unique story of the role that hospitality played in her life. No one casts a vision for hospitality and sharing life with others better than she does, in my opinion. I read her most recent book a few months ago. The book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a wonderful book. Hospitality has played a huge role in her life. It even played an important role before she became a Christian. In the lesbian community to which she belonged with her partner, it was back when AIDS was devastating the lives of so many gays and lesbians. Her community, that community that, that she had formed around herself, made sure that there was a home available every night for everyone who was having a hard time so that they would never have to spend an evening alone and depressed. Years later, she wrote an article for a local newspaper. It was an article in opposition to Promise Keepers, which was a pretty strong movement at the time. And so um, at the time, she was also a tenured professor at Syracuse University. And she and her partner were members of a church, a Unitarian Universalist church. After writing the article, she received a lot of hate mail, and she explains that she, for some reason, always read every single mail that came, no matter what its perspective was. But when she read a letter from a pastor who tried to shed a little bit of a different light on the Promise Keeper movement, the letter was so kind and so different from the other mail that disagreed with her that she couldn't say no when he and his wife actually invited her over for supper. She reasoned that at the very least, this couple could serve as part of a long-term research project on these strange Christians. Uh, this began an almost weekly evening with the Floyds for two years, uh, with the Smiths, for two years of dinner and conversation at their house with the pastor and his wife, but not only with them, but with the many guests that they regularly invited into their home for meals. They broke stereotypes of Christians that she had developed over, over the years. And eventually, she came to know Christ and to follow Christ wholeheartedly. Reflecting on that first evening with Ken and Floyd Smith, she explains 
that up to that point in her life, she felt that the few Christians she knew were very obviously intellectually impaired. They were the kind of people, in her mind, who sent her the hate mail or people who carried insulting signs at uh, gay pride marches and parades and that sort of thing. But her negative image of Christians radically changed when she met the Smiths and ate a meal in their home. At that very first meal, she remembers being a little self-conscious about her butch haircut and the gay and pro-choice bumper stickers on her car. She explains that her lesbian identity and the lesbian culture to which she belonged and its values mattered a lot to her. And she had come to her culture and to her values through life experience, but also through much research and deep thinking. She liked Ken and Floyd immediately because they seemed to be sensitive to that fact. During their first meal, she remembers waiting, just kind of dreading that she was going to get punched in the gut with something, you know, something grossly offensive was going to come out of somebody's mouth at any moment. She believed uh, at that time that God was dead. And if that he ever was alive, the fact of poverty and violence, racism, sexism, homophobia, war, all of that was proof that he didn't care about his creation. She believed that religion was, as Marx wrote, the opiate of the masses. But Ken and Floyd's God seemed to her to be alive and three-dimensional and wise, although firm. And Ken and Floyd were anything but intellectually impaired. Rosaria explains that Ken and Floyd did something at that meal that has a long Christian history. They invited the stranger in to listen and to learn and to dialogue. She says they didn't debate worldview. They were willing to walk what she calls the long journey to her in Christian compassion. During that first meal, they didn't share the gospel with her. After their meal, they didn't invite her to church. And because they flipped the script, the kind of the Christian script as she had come to know it or experience it, when the evening ended and Pastor Ken said that they wanted to stay in touch with her, she knew that it was truly safe to accept his open hand. She says now that before she ever stepped foot in a church, she spent two years meeting with Ken and Floyd on and off, eventually studying scripture together and even studying her own heart. And she says that Ken and Floyd knew at the time that she couldn't come to church. It would have been way too threatening, too weird, and too much. So Ken and Floyd were willing to bring the church to her. So uh, if you uh, want to see her speaking, not about this so much, she tells a little bit of this story, but uh, uh, the story that she tells in The Gospel Comes with a House Ski, it's a story about befriending a neighbor across the street who was a recluse, uh, who struggled with clinical depression, uh, who turned out to be a, um, well, running a meth lab in his house that she had no idea until the DEA showed up. It's an incredible story. And then the neighbor's response and how they help the neighbors deal with that reality. Um, I want to recommend that you go, just, just do this search. Just say, Rosaria Butterfield, Loving the Stranger. And it's a talk she gave at a conference. It's an amazing, amazing story. And I recommend it to you. So why are meals and including people in our life, why is that so important? One of the reasons is that it demonstrates acceptance of the person. It demonstrates acceptance of the person. 
Uh, we see this both in Jesus going to Matthew's house as well as in Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. He's not, as tax collectors, he's not necessarily endorsing their profession. Uh, the religious leaders basically accuse him of doing that, of accepting their profession. It's basically part of their crit criticism of him. Uh, it was, uh, their choice of profession was a profession that put you out of the synagogue. You could not participate in the synagogue if you were a tax collector. Uh, it, was, it was akin, in many ways, to someone today uh, being a, a drug kingpin. Uh, and 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 uh, like a drug dealer kingpin, and being put out of church membership, it, it it just makes sense. It made sense for them to do that as well because they were collaborators with the enemy. And the very way that the tax collection was set up, it was like, hey, you get to be the mayor of this town, and you can extort people for as much money as you can get away with without creating riots. That's the way tax collection worked under the Romans and uh, there uh, in this occupied territory. Jesus isn't endorsing Matthew's profession. He's not endorsing Zacchaeus's profession and vocational choices, but he is showing that he accepts them and that he cares about them by going to their houses. When you share a meal or your life with someone, even if you have different faith commitments or the other person has no faith commitment at all or is even opposed to your faith commitment. It demonstrates acceptance of the person, a person who's loved by God, a person who is made in the image of God. Uh, meals, including people in our lives, are impo is important for a second reason. It often leads to better and sometimes great conversations. In the Zacchaeus story, it's, it's unfortunate that Luke didn't include the conversation that, he, that Jesus and Zacchaeus had. Um, but you see the results of what that conversation did. But it had to have been a great conversation because it says this um, in Luke 19, verse 8. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said, this is, it just jumps from him being there to the response. He said, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Meals, including people in our lives who are oftentimes far from God, demonstrates acceptance of the person. It can lead to great conversations. But thirdly, it builds trust. I mean, what kind of trust did Jesus build with Zacchaeus to get him to have that kind of response? What kind of trust did he build with Matthew? For Matthew to leave everything, uh, all of his advantages, well stated in that scene from The Chosen, to leave all that and come and follow Jesus and put his entire life on the line. It built trust, and they came to trust Jesus. And when we include people in our lives, it builds trust as well and opens the opportunity for us to share the gospel with them. Helping people find their way back to God through hospitality and meals and including them in, in, in our life is central to our mission. We see that in Scripture. But this applies not only to our personal lives, it also imply, applies to our church life together. And that's why a significant portion of the BLESS campaign that we're doing right now uh, addresses creating a more welcoming and inviting environment. If you've seen the brochure, you've seen the kinds of things that we're doing there. 
that are specifically about creating this welcoming, inviting, hospitable environment. So last week we talked about the parking lot and the entry area and the impact that that has on people. This week I just want to call attention to some updates to our worship center that we're, we're planning. Um, there's a small part of the campaign, it's not a very big part of the campaign, but a small part of the campaign uh, that includes recovering the chairs in the worship center, uh, changing the carpeting, uh, updating colors of the wood, changing this, this carpet that, uh, that is pretty marked up and, and pretty, pretty shot now. It also includes repaying ourselves for what we're experiencing right now with live streaming. Uh, so we had to kind of, we didn't have it budgeted and we needed to do it because of COVID and the campaign is one of the ways that we can repay ourselves for that. Um, these are all part of creating a more hospitable and welcoming environment. Our church building is aging and one of the things that we have to do little by little is we have to update areas that are worn out or outdated. And uh, like we did, uh, I think a little over a year ago, maybe two years ago, where the commons right outside of the Acorn Cafe, uh, we updated the carpet and the chairs and, and everything that is in there as well as painting, painting the walls. Our church building is aging and it needs that kind of work. But campaigns like this one, it's one of the ways that we can keep our general fund focused on boots on the ground in ministry uh, with people. And um, at the same time, keep retooling, like what we're doing with the gym, and updating uh, various areas. And those of you who call Five Oaks your home, we're asking you to please pray about what your role can be in that campaign. So a couple of years ago, uh, some people on staff uh, started talking to me and some others about updating that commons area uh, that we updated, I think, a couple of years ago or so. And, uh, and so I, <laughs> I was a skeptic. I'm like, it's perfectly fine the way it is. I don't know what you're talking about. I knew the carpet was bad. I could go for a new carpet, but why do we need new furniture? And so <laughs> I went out there and uh, literally just went up to one of the couches, took a look, and it had holes in it. I mean, it had holes in it. And I had not seen them. I had sat there. I sat there almost every week with the elders praying together. I sat down in those chairs and didn't see the holes that it had in it. I went immediately from incredulity to embarrassment because I know that anybody that's new that comes, it's like, those are my holes. Those are our holes, <laughs> you know, that, that we have in our furniture. We don't see that because we're used to it. But anybody who comes new, anybody who's a guest, immediately sees and sees neglect and wonders what, what, what in the world. Um, they see it immediately, it, it comes out. So before that happens again, uh, let's make other needed changes uh, that our future guests are going to see so that when they show up, they don't see neglect. That's part of the thinking behind this. So that they feel like this is a place that uh, is used to welcoming guests and is, has open arms to, to them as they are either seeking a relationship with God or seeking a church family. But I don't want to end with that. I really want to go back to our personal lives a little bit. And I want you to think about your life outside of this building, uh, even outside your own homes as you're watching this sermon. Your life at work. Your life out in the neighborhood. Uh, your life as it's lived out in whatever city uh, or cities that you're in throughout the day. Surrounded by people 
who are far from God. I want you to think about those people in your life. And I want you to think about the people in your top five. Um, and I want you to see them around dinner tables with you, sitting around a dinner table, or going on a, a winter walk with you, or having some coffee over at Jerry's, one of the few places where you can actually sit down and have a cup, cup of coffee with someone, um, including them in your life and taking, helping them take steps back to God. This can happen by beginning with prayer, listening with care, and including them in our lives. Well, as we begin our response here, one of the things that, that we do is, is we begin with communion. And so I want to invite you to take the communion packet. Hopefully you got one on your way in. And just think of Jesus and his ministry of including, but his ministry oftentimes including not just us in his life, but inserting himself in our world and in our lives. Inviting himself over to various people's homes for meals. But not just that, inserting himself into our lives by coming into our world as a man, going to the cross, and dying for our sins. And so I invite you to take the bread and eat it together, remembering the body of Christ broken for you. And take the cup, remembering the blood of Christ shed for the remission of your sins. Father, we want to be your people on mission for you in our daily lives. And that means caring about the people around us. And we know that most people around us don't know you personally. They haven't experienced your grace and your love in a personal way. I pray, Father, that we would be people who are praying for them, taking the time to listen and ask questions, and including them in our lives. Help us to live that out. We thank you that you are at work through all of that. That's what you call us to, and that's what you empower us for. We pray this in Jesus' name.